Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbley, and this is being recorded live on Skype, July 15th, 2017. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. So, it's been quite a long time since I've had the chance to chat with Terry Terrence, but I received an email through the week from Terry. Hello, Terry. Hi, Tom. How are you? And my understanding is that you are creating a bookend to your are uh, the reason that I am going to be on the East Coast. And please, please, please remind me of the dates of the O-Scale Convention next year. The O-Scale Convention next year will be held in the Washington, D.C. area, specifically at the Rockville, Maryland Hilton, August 22nd through August 26th, 2018. And it's being hosted by our Washington, D.C. area O-Scale Club. Mm. And I'm the co-chair. And uh, we have, as Ed Sullivan used to say, a really big shoe planned. <laughs> so for folks listening in, how much can you reveal associated with what you're playing? I know people listening in, probably by the time I get this podcast edited and posted, it's going to be uh, only, what, eight months away, but... People might wonder why a year and a bit in advance should they start planning to go to an O-Scale convention? You know, you have to get on people's calendars early. So I've been out uh, contacting individuals, dealers. I've been to several shows. So let, let, let me give you some background on the convention. The tagline for this convention, it's the 50th O-Scale National Convention, for starters. And the tagline is... A fresh look at O scale. Mm. So what we're what we're trying to accomplish with this convention is to reach out to all of the O scale communities, which would include the narrow gauge, which is where I was today at the narrow gauge show, the three railers, everybody, and then to reach across to other people in other scales because uh, O's, it, there's, there hasn't been a better time to be an O scale. Hmm. So we have modeled this convention on an NMRA national. Mm -hmm. uh, in the last decade or so, the O-Scale conventions have been rather lame. Uh, I'm not insulting anyone, but basically they have been running down and down and down. So we're trying to do a reset. We are going to have a full slate of clinics and I see Jim Gore joined us. Mm -hmm. He's going to be one of our clinicians. <laughs> um, we're going to have a full slate of clinics with three clinic rooms running essentially continuously wow. throughout the convention. Gosh. So it's, it's maybe not an NMRA national where you may have five or six clinic rooms, but you know, we had to scale it, our ambitions to reality. Uh, we will have, uh, obviously a full slate of layout tours getaway day layout tours we are going to have side trips the only thing we're not going to have is tour buses to take people around to the layout tours and side trips it was just not practical for the scale of convention that we're planning uh we're not going to have hundreds and hundreds of people what well, we we hope we will but we're probably not going to have enough people to fill a tour bus to go out on every layout tour and every side trip yeah. But um, what I do have planned with the clinics is uh, a series of clinics so that if you are a newbie to O-Scale, you could come to the convention, listen to these clinics, and go away with a very good understanding 
of what it takes to move into O-scale. Mm. Now, I've sort of saved the best for last. Our keynote speaker is going to be Tony Custer. Now, Tony, and maybe people don't know this, but Tony has been dabbling in O-scale Proto 48. He is currently building a project layout for Model Railroader, which will be serialized in Model Railroader. It's not going to be your typical project layout. Uh, he will be using a Proto 48 layout to illustrate principles that can be applied to all scales. But mm. the fact of the matter is he's building up a Proto 48 project layout. It will be at the convention and it will be its world premiere at the convention wow. next year because Model Railroader will not have published his series of articles Ooh. at that point. So if you want to see Tony Custer's interpretation of Proto 48, in addition to hearing him give a clinic, and uh, if you care to have him speak at, uh, hear him speak at the banquet, then uh, come to the convention next year. Mm. Uh, so we have been working very closely with Tony who's been coordinating with our group. Um, we are getting articles into a number of different publications, which will be lead-ins to the convention, uh, much like Scale Rails publishes articles, which are a lead-in to the NMRA mm -hmm. National every year. We're doing the same thing. We have a couple of them placed already. We have more in the works, and we're going to be doing something that, is a little bit unusual for the all-scale community, and that's part of the reason why I'm here, is we're going to be using social media uh, ex you know, extensively, I hope. We'll mm. I've got my fingers crossed to see how this turns out. We're also doing something unusual in the way of a convention car. We are doing a build-to-order convention car. It is going to be a refrigerated car. The refrigerated car is going to tie into John Armstrong's mm -hmm. layout. And by the way, uh, the remains, what still remains of John Armstrong's layout will be on the tour. We are doing a refrigerated car for the theoretical Midland Fruit Express, which was a uh, joint operation between the Nickel Plate and the Canandaigua Southern. Mm -hmm. It will have the Canandaigua Southern logo on it. We have received permission from John Armstrong's son to use the uh, the name and the logo. Wonderful. And these will be built to order for people who pre-register for the convention. We will set a cutoff date based on when we believe we can uh, mm -hmm. we can have the cars built and ready for the convention. They will be individually numbered, so no two will be alike. So that's something unusual uh, that we're doing. Again, to a build-to-order uh, custom convention car. We may have additional cars. We're we're trying to negotiate with uh, Atlas amongst other people. Gosh, uh, looking at one or more addition additional cars to do. The convention cars are always a big question mark because you don't know. You know, the manufacturers have a minimum order and you don't know how many people are going to order whatever car. So, you know, we're treading a little bit lightly. But the refrigerated cars, we actually own uh, 230 refrigerator bodies that were part of the Weaver closeout. Ah. These were built up to order and we can do them either as two rail cars or three rail cars. Wow. So 
it's going to be a big, big effort. We have, you know, again, we, we, it took us once we even settled on which hotel it was going to be, it took us two months to negotiate the deal with the hotel. So, uh, this is a, a very significant effort and we're throwing the doors open to everybody. Come take a look at what O scale has to offer. There's never been a better time to be an O scaler. And as we all get on in years, you know, the, <laughs> the natural tendency is to migrate towards O scale, leave your inhibitions behind. You can do O scale in a small space. You can do O scale for relatively little money. As a matter of fact, there is a clinic, mm. uh, as a mat, and I just signed the, uh, uh, signed, I should say, I just <laughs> recruited the clinician today who will talk about buying O scale on the secondary market. Mm. So you don't have to look at the list prices from all the manufacturers. You can buy O scale on the secondary market. I'd say, you know, Kentucky Windage here for about half price of what the manufacturer's list is. And we will have other clinics, not the least of which will be Jim Gore's clinic on building in paper. So if you want to keep the cost of O scale down, build your buildings in paper. Uh, and Jim does an excellent job of, uh, of showing people how to build very, very convincing structures in paper. And uh, the other myth we're going to bust at this convention is that, oh, there's too little O-scale out there for me to do a prototype modeling. Also not true. You're not going to find O-scale at your local hobby shop, although if you're willing to convert three-rail, you'll find plenty of uh, O-scale at your local hobby shop. And conversion from three-rail to two-rail is going to be the subject of another clinic uh, given by John Sethian, and I went up to hear his clinic at the uh, Pennsylvania Railroad Historical and Technical Society a couple of months ago, and it is outstanding. It's a wonderfully illustrated, professionally delivered clinic on how to model prototypically, largely using converted three-rail equipment. Mm. And John has uh, converted three-wheel Lionel equipment into award-winning uh, models, two-rail models. Mm. So that is, that's the capsule preview. Now, last thing I'm going to say is uh, we, will, we will not be taking reservations at the convention hotel or registrations for the convention until August, and that is largely a function of the hotel will not open up the bookings until a year before the event. So Fair it's uh, yeah. August August of 2018, so we can't open the reservations till August of 2017. Hmm. We have a block of rooms reserved uh, of different types. So if you're interested in coming to the convention, reserve your room early. You'll get your choice of different room types. You can arrive up to five days later early and stay up to three days late so you can take in the sites in D.C. The Seven. convention hotel is 108 paces from the metro, so you can come, park in the garage. It's free if you're staying at the hotel. Take the metro all over the area. You don't have to deal with D.C. traffic, and you can make it a family vacation, as I think you are, Tom. <laughs> I have actually stayed at that hotel. I stayed at that hotel 
I think 2001 or maybe 2002. So I know the location very well. A number of really nice restaurants in the area too. So, well, yeah, lots to see and do in that part of the world. And mm-hmm. certainly, like I said, it's a bookend to my East Coast Odyssey next year. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to catching up with her. And I mean, you talk about Tony Costa, but really, Jim Gore's paper cardstock modeling clinic, clearly a highlight, I think, in many of our potential clinics to attend. We do have the man on the line as well, Jim Gore. It's been a long time since we had a chance to chat. Are you there? I think so. When did Terry contact you about this convention? Oh, I'd say about uh, two, three months ago. Gosh. So uh, I agreed to uh, give a a clinic on cardstock modeling, and Mm -hmm. uh, I think we can uh, build a structure from beginning to end. And uh, because it's O-scale, and it'll be all O-scale participants, we can do a little bit more uh, glazing of windows and some things like that that are much more interesting in uh, O-scale than perhaps uh, HO, for example, Wonderful. or mixed gauges like we do at the NMRA uh, Nationals. Wonderful. Do you know what day you're on? Oh, no, not yet. Not at this point. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are planning a year and a half in advance here. We, we are... I understand. Uh... <laughs> no, no the, to, the question is whether we come for the entire, the entire time or uh, just from Jim Glaw's clinic on, I think. That's the, the outstanding <laughs> question. So while we have you both on, you both share particular philosophies. Obviously, you're a narrow gauge, mm-hmm. Jim, but yep. Terry and you both share particular interests in the breadth of the hobby. So many aspects. It's interesting that the paper and cardstock modeling clinic is what was finally picked because certainly there are a bunch of other topics that you could cover readily. How many of these O-scale nationals have you been to, Jim? I think I was. I've been to one other, but okay. it was 10 years ago, perhaps. Interesting. Interesting. So we'll see. I've been to some regional O-scale uh, meets. Yes. But uh winds up being maybe 40, 50 people. So it will be interesting to see what the national is like. I think the thing the thing that interested me when Terry contacted me yesterday was just how this strikes me as being more modeled, as Terry noted, on the NMRA model. And mm-hmm. the three clinic rooms running in parallel is always... It's always a difficulty... Because are you going to run duplicates, Terry? Are you going to do like the same clinic at multiple times in multiple locations? Or is it really going to be first in, best dressed? You've got to pick your ordering as they occur. What's your thinking on that? I guess it it's is, probably too it, early to... It is the latter at the moment. I'm, I'm, I brought up the schedule, the tentative schedule I mm-hmm. have right now. To answer Jim's question, uh, he is in clinic room two on Friday afternoon. Good. And... Uh, <laughs> For his hands on, I'm trying to see where he is now in. Oh, yeah, he's in clinic room two on Friday morning for his regular uh, right. building and for clinic. I'm doing a hands on 3D printing clinic, so I actually have a, a number of neat little inexpensive 3D printing machines that I've been dragging around the shows, and people are agog. And Are you these know, the two hundred entry, two hundred dollar entry level ones that I've seen recently? Yes, yes they are. And uh, the interesting thing was, and I've been dr- bringing these around the train shows. The wives are as interested oh, yeah. in as the husbands because yeah. they see potential there. So yes, uh, we are going to try and get through the entire card of uh, clinics once. I'm looking at the schedule here. We have relatively few holes mm. uh, that 
yet to be filled. And I, you know, unless there is a real demand for repeating a clinic, it probably will be a once through. And similar to the NMRA conventions, is it a convention first and then a traditional train show on the weekend? Is that what you're planning or how will that fit together? The typical format for the O-Scale National has been the training halls and clinics run simultaneously. Mm. Oh, interesting. We're going to hold on to that. It's the expectation of the dealers is that they want maximum time to uh, sell their wares. And uh, on the, the the convention website, which is uh, 2018oscalenational.com, um I have a survey up there and trading halls is in everyone's, mm. you know, I'm most interested in the trading halls list. So the trading halls will be open. Now, some people have suggested that we close the trading hall, maybe the afternoon, then reopen in the evening so that the dealers can get around to seeing some of the layout tours. But I will, I will poll the dealers on how they want to do that. <laughs> yes. But, Right now, it's trading halls are open and clinics are running in parallel. I'm really looking forward to catching up with everyone. Originally, I was heading out for the Garden State, but this is going to add a, another venue for model rail radio folks to get together. In terms of the general state of Oscar, you mentioned what happened with Weaver. Are there new manufacturers coming in? Is it a reducing number of major manufacturers? What's your general sense of that, Terry? If you realize that the Weaver dies were split between uh, Atlas and Lionel, so Lionel has mm. dipped its into scale O now with their Lion scale line. And I understand it's very, very tentative. Where O scale is going is, and, and this was actually brought out to me very pointedly, I was rearranging my magazine collection and I hadn't realized how many years in, in, and back in time, my O-Scale magazines went. But looking those over, it's we have come from box of sticks kits to highly detailed models from, you know, at least three major manufacturers. And I'm going to count the three rail manufacturers mm -hmm. in this because, uh, at, like, Jim Lincoln routinely converts Lionel three rail models to two rail Proto 48 and uh, as a matter of fact, at the national, the this year's national, I was there with Jim, and he uh, brought a car to be judged, and it was judged, you know, well over whatever the, the point score was to get that part of his MMR checked off, and that was a, a Lionel conversion. So if you look at uh, what's convertible from from three rail, you have a huge amount of scale cars out there that. Lionel does a really great job. They just will not put two rail wheel sets on them, but you can do that yourself. So there's, there's equipment out there up the wazoo. Mm -hmm. And the thing is the secondary market, because of the characteristics of, of a lot of guys in O scale is they will buy a bunch of equipment and never touch it. So you can get especially steam locomotive models that have never been run. Mm -hmm. Okay. Be thirty years old, but it's new in the box, yeah. and it's going for a relative pittance. Um, and then you have, you know, new brass imports from Sunset. Sunset's affordable, 
uh, Key and Overland are um, more upscale. And then, of course, you have, I don't know if you know, of Coe's. He's a uh, very high-end specialty importer, and you pay your money up front, and years later you'll get your model, but they're exquisite models. Uh, he's an you know, stickler for detail. So there is plenty available. You're not going to see it at the hobby shops. We don't have as many manufacturers in O as in anything else. Mm-hmm. But if you seek out, seek out the manufacturers, you know, I'm always, and I'm in O, I'm always finding new small manufacturers mm. for structures, trucks, couplers. You have, uh, you have, uh, San Juan Car Company. They do a few kits, a little bit oriented towards Proto 48, but they do them both ways. Protocraft, all of these, uh, you know, sort, I don't want to call them niche manufacturers, mm-hmm. but they are, you know, O scale only. They're not known outside the O scale community. They don't submit their models to Model Railroad or for reviews for whatever reason. I'm not going to speculate, but, uh, you know, there, there's, tons and tons of equipment out there and the detail is just really really top notch mm-hmm. looking back on where we were to where we are today it's like wow <laughs> and of course the most important question as one of the organizers of the convention will your layout be on the layout tour my layout will be on the layout tour but because i'm so far away it's going to be a getaway day layout okay but if you if you know, the, uh, the getaway day layouts are going to be spectacular. If you saw that two rail O scale 2016 video that I did, mm-hmm. Edward Pays, you know, huge Pensy layout will be on the getaway okay. day layout. Uh, we have some going up towards West Virginia and Gettysburg mm. that will be on the, uh, getaway day layout tours that are really, really worth, uh, the trip. Um, and again, if, you know, you stay an extra day, you can still do the getaway day layouts as a day trip out of Washington and still come back and enjoy the, the Washington, D.C. area from the convention hotel. Certainly. Certainly. Well, thank you for coming on today, Terry. I understand that retired life for you has been extraordinarily busy, and it's yes, always it- a pleasure to catch up with you when we have a chance to. So thank you for, for finding some time, and hopefully things will get less busy You'll have a chance to work on your layout, and it sounds like this convention is just going to be onwards and upwards for the next year or more for you. So, all the best with that. Thank you. While we're speaking of retirement, I have to give congratulations to Jim Gore. Yeah, six whole weeks. <laughs> six whole weeks of retirement. Very good. That's right. <laughs> and in terms of you, similarly, I think the times are slightly out for both you and Terry associated with getting active participation, but we haven't heard from you in a while. What's going on with your layout? Well, the layout is uh, just about ready for the uh, National in Orlando. Of course, that's about two weeks off, so mm. I guess it better be ready. Um, I understand that there's going to be a busload of 50 people arriving. And I'm still trying to figure out how to get 50 people into a layout room that will hold 12. So uh, I've got a lot of models up on display, and I'll have yes. a video running in the living room and snacks and everything else to 
try to relieve some of the pressure. So I've been spending most of my time cleaning up the layout room and uh, getting the last few structures on the layout and uh, preparing my uh, modeling with the master's uh, hands-on clinic and getting all of those kits together. Mm. And uh, so it's been kind of a busy retirement, <laughs> just getting ready for the Orlando National. What are you doing with modeling with masters this year? Is it a carryover from last year, or are you doing something new? Uh, no, this is switching over. I'm doing, uh, actually, I think I mentioned this once before, I'm doing a George Selios structure, but out of plastic. Oh, interesting. And we're going to do some scratch building, uh, scratch building and styrene. Interesting. And so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I think uh, last time I looked, there were 15 or 20, some, somewhere between 15 and 20, who registered for the uh, my particular session. So it'll be kind of fun. Interesting. We're amongst friends here, Jim. I, I feel like I can probably ask you this question. When you do a clinic on a George Selios structure, mm -hmm. do you license it from George? How does that actually work out? Actually, I borrowed a set of um, plans from a friend of mine years uh -huh. ago. Interesting. Uh, from, a, from one of his fine scale miniatures kits. And I just, um, I guess the best way to put it is cloned it in plastic. Interesting. And so it's the structure, but it's uh, just being redone in plastic. Okay. So I'm not providing plans or anything like that. I'm just giving dimensions and cut it 14 feet this way and 20 feet this way, and there's a side, and away we go. So it's a, basic, it's a basic George Selios design. Interesting. As you're constantly thinking associated with new stuff in the hobby and new clinics potentially to offer, it's interesting that Terry booked you for something. Well, I guess your paper and cardstock clinic is so well known i mean it's an obvious choice are there any new things that you're seeing coming in the hobby that you think you might be doing clinics on and well, if not 2018 maybe 2019 anything that's piquing your interest no that really <laughs> that's that's two years off now um <laughs> <laughs> well you've got to prepare right <laughs> yeah well i'm lucky when i can think about what i'm going to do tomorrow so uh i i haven't really thought about it that far in advance um one of the things that I did get talked into by uh, a couple of different people was to run for the board of the NMRA. Ah, yes. And one of the things that uh, I really want to promote, uh, apropos to what we're doing tonight, is to get most of the regions involved in the regional podcasts. Yes. I know the British region has a podcast, and I, I find it to be really entertaining. And I'd like to see all of the regions put together podcasts so we can get to know what all of the regions are doing and who the members are and things like that. It's kind of hard for me, at least, down here in Florida to uh, figure out what the rest of the country is doing sometimes. It's and, interesting uh, that you mentioned the British region because the Australian NMRA contingent are amazing as well. I agree. I, mean, I think it's, uh, it's certainly an organization where when they're represented in podcast form, it really probably shows the kind of slightly darker areas of the NMRA where light should be shone and things should be done. I'm relatively ashamed to say probably my area is one of those areas. But no, it's an interesting way, as you say, of bringing together... But I think what you're talking about here, and I certainly feel this about the Australian NMRA folk as well, you're really dealing with the raw characters, the sheer essence, basically, of all these individuals. And uh, that's why I like podcasts. I mean, I think that's the, the essence of podcasts, really, is the strength of character of the participants. So... Yes, I'm more than willing to help out with folks that are interested in how they should do this thing. Although my understanding is that the NMRA has a existing kind of formatting and style guide, right? Well, they do, but it's it's not been utilized and it needs to be updated. And, uh, of 
quite frankly, I'd like to see the NMRA help to subsidize uh, people who want to get started on the regional podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that would be a, a wonderful way to either set up training modules or or whatever is necessary to get the people up and running. So there's a little bit of standardization, if you will, in uh, equipment and the way sure. that they put the the, the uh, podcast together. And uh, I've been looking at some other things, too, that I think would be useful for the uh, NMRA, and that is to incorporate more digital media into some of the uh, uh, achievement program uh, components, even as far as uh, creating a separate uh, certificate Ooh. for some of the digital media. Um <laughs> You know, it's funny, when I started off doing uh, uh, the Master Model Railroader thing, I had built a couple of cardstock structures, and a couple of Master Model Railroaders came up to my house to look at the structures, and they said, well, these are great, but we can't judge them. Mm. And I said, why not? And they said, well, we don't know how to do it, because there are no criteria, there are no standards, so you're going to have to build us something out of plastic or wood or some of the other standard material. We couldn't allow you to use a computer to generate the sides or mm. generate some of the windows or things like that because we don't know how to judge that. And so I think it's about time that we did some of that changing as well. So yes. I've got a few things on the agenda if, if I get elected. <laughs> you know you're preaching to the choir here. I mean, I think pretty well the entire time Model Rail Radio has been in existence. I've tried to control various parts of the NMRA to start recognizing electronic media well, with parity. I don't, I, my view is just recognize it with parity. I mean, its own thing would be wonderful, particularly when you see what folks are doing on YouTube and these kind of platforms, but just with parity, that people consume all kinds of media, and now more than ever, <laughs> these things are, you know, primary sources in many regards. I mean, it fascinates me when I get new listeners that are using YouTube as a primary resource. They don't know who Tony oh. Custer is. They Oh, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Um, I think that it's a way to uh, recruit an entire uh, community of model railroaders who have not been interested in the NMRA because of not so much that they aren't doing what model railroaders need, but they aren't reaching out to some of the new media. And uh, I think that's something that um, we uh, really need to explore more. And I know that Kathy Millard in uh, in the UK is also pushing for a lot of that too. So Certainly. maybe if three or four of us get there, and I've I've talked to the the guy who is the candidate for president too, Pete McGowan, and mm. I think he uh, I think he also endorses that. So maybe we'll have some change over the next few years. So there might actually be a proper changing of the guard by what you seem to be indicating. I mean, I guess the people vote accordingly. We had on Matt Trown briefly. I was hoping to get him on speaking of new media because he does all his stuff on YouTube. And I think yeah, it's really interesting times for the hobby because the vibrancy, and Terry has highlighted that as well, the vibrancy in this part of the hobby comes almost exclusively through the new folk, the interesting new folk that uh, kind of... And occasionally the magazines publish some stuff, but I mean, I guess the... You know, the hallowed time, Model Railroader, which no doubt will be in heavy representation at Terry's convention, they don't really necessarily bring people up quite as quickly as uh, all this new media stuff as seems to be bringing people up. And I think what fascinates me through this is also the accessibility, the ability for people to communicate directly with modelers and get, you know, hands-on feedback and this kind of stuff is now done electronically. 
in and we have on the professor obviously forums these kind of things came early on but yeah it's interesting times for the hobby and the nmra well i mean they've done very well associated with open lcb i think that's a start mm-hmm. but as you say many new and interesting possibilities that uh, exist currently that the nmra probably needs to start picking up and recognizing so your perspective is is it a complete clean slate ticket, or will the existing uh, the existing folks seeking re-election as well? Well, you know, they term out. So, for example, Charlie Getz is termed out as president. Okay. So there's a new president, uh, Pete McGowan, and I, right now he's running unopposed. Okay. Uh, I know that Clark is running uh, for vice president again, mm-hmm. and there are about three or four divisions that are not divisions. Um, I've forgotten what they call them now. Uh, at any rate, um, are, are running as well. I'm doing the at-large North American uh, board member mm-hmm. position. Uh, Pete Youngblood decided that he didn't want to do it anymore. So I know that there are about seven or eight positions that are open on the board. So it's about half or more. Interesting. Interesting. Well, onwards and upwards. Onwards and upwards, Jim. I think it's certainly so. an organization that... Uh, Causes a lot of people to talk a lot. It seems to be like people seem to have opinions associated with the NMRA, and certainly in recent years, everyone seems to get stronger and stronger opinions. And my perspective is, you know, that it uh, it exists as part of the hobby, like everything in this hobby. There are curious elements, and the NMRA has represented some curious elements very recently. But let's hope that uh, you know it uh, embraces some of the new stuff, and I think certainly. Uh, Looking at the open LCB guys, that's one thing that I'll say that the ability for the open LCB guys to get into the NMRA and the NMRA, as you well know, I'm sure, were considering a wide variety of other means of doing what open LCB did. And they just came and demonstrated over, I think, three conventions mm-hmm. exactly what it did. And then it was there. It was part of the NMRA standard. So, yeah. well, I know. It, it's it, like all organizations which are large, they tend to move <laughs> lethargically. Yes. So uh, when we can push them and, and it's sort of like evolution in a way, it sort of goes in fits and starts. <laughs> so uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll get the NMRA to evolve a little bit rapidly for a while and then it'll level out again. So I hope to participate in that. Very good. Well, if anyone's going to do it, Jim Gore, you are the person. Congratulations <laughs> we'll once again on your retirement. I, Thank you, Tom. I, I'm sure, as with Terry Terrence, it will mean nothing but immense productivity and a wide variety of things. Who can predict? I mean, Terry has, uh, has utilized retirement splendidly, so I'm looking forward to see what comes out of your retirement, Jim. Well, me too. My wife is uh, currently re- designing a new layout room for me, so... <laughs> It's about three times the size of what I've got. So wow. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> that is going to be fascinating. So are you going to use the pre-assembled wood and stuff like that, or are you going to do things completely differently? Well, we'll see. Um, mm. This is uh, in the, the farmhouse in New Hampshire. Wow. And it's uh, in the barn, and uh, it's about a 30 by 60 foot spot there with about a 10 by 20 foot uh, workshop. Uh, added on to it. So I've got lots of room. Are you going to be there in about a year and a bit's time? Uh, probably not. It okay. depends on how things go. I'm, we're looking sort of two years off. Okay. If, before the layout gets moved to, uh, gets moved, gets torn down and rebuilt in, uh, in New Hampshire. Wow. 
Looking so. forward to hearing the updates, Jim. This sounds like a fascinating move. It'll be fun. Very good. <laughs> well, you know how we do things. Please stay on the yep. line if anything comes up. But a pleasure catching up. Okay, Tom. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Take care. I'd like to welcome back on a gentleman who I frequently reference in terms of personalities in this hobby that I recommend everyone should meet because <laughs> the complexity that is the professor, the fact that you play a character and yet you're actually a human being that people occasionally meet in the flesh, always much appreciated to have you on. You have gone through a move, a series of renovations, a bunch of stuff being going on. We've obviously had John Garrity on over the past three or so months to give Continued updates associated with your housing situation. How are things looking, Professor? Um, at the moment, the uh, the back of the house is uh, only about half present. Uh, as I said, another way it's been half removed. Uh, the concrete pad that was the laundry and the um, and the bathroom is being demolished. So there's a dirty, great big hole in the floor. Mm. Um, I'm speaking today from. The upstairs, uh, parents retreat of my brother and sister-in-law's place. Um, this is actually our last day here. We moved today Gosh. from this place into another temporary residence, which is another brother and sister-in-law's place. Um, and that's, that's going to be another six weeks or so. Uh -huh. and, and the hope, the, the, the slated completion date is first September. Um, but of course, this is building and renovating and, and anything could happen at any given moment. Weather can always be a, a factor. So the short answer is we don't know. But, uh, we've done house sitting here for the last four weeks. The, uh, the owners of these places have been traveling around Europe and they land tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock Sydney time. So we have to obviously clean up the place, uh, the, the classic, uh, you know, leave any place better than you found it Certainly. so we got to get that prepped and ready and then um yeah, as i say we moved today so that tomorrow morning it's all prepped and ready for them to come home uh in the meantime because of tearing up houses and living the itinerant lifestyle uh there uh basically everything model is currently packed in storage mm -hmm. uh actually up the back end of the storage uh locker because everything that wasn't trained kind of had to go in there uh, in front of it, in between it and the door. Certainly. So that's the way. Uh, I was given a Iron Scan S 3D scanner rig to get up and running by mm -hmm. a, uh, a modeling friend. Mm -hmm. And so I've been playing with that and prepping with that and, um, and trying to work out how to get the best out of it. The allegation is that this thing can achieve, uh, you know, one micron scan resolution mm -hmm. and uh politely i'm going to call bollocks on that uh, i was using an athen uh bay window caboose as a as a test unit simply mm -hmm. because it was what i had on hand the end handrails were a, were a dead loss were a complete loss mm. it just did not exist at all mm. the uh, the roof uh patterns the roof roof patterning uh to say that it was accurate would be laughable because the iron scan is a visible light scanner. Yes. It is clearly affected by reflected light and, mm -hmm. and other light sources. It also struggles with uh, anything that's colored. Now, of course, this was a problem when the caboose I happen to be using is a Frisco caboose, 
with that's basically a red body with a white horizontal stripe. Yes. yes. So the uh, the color and contrast was a big problem. Uh, Einscan can do both uh, what they call textured and non-textured scanning, and textured scanning takes the colors into account. So that was interesting. It did allow it to get a little bit more intelligence out of it, but it doesn't help when the body is red and white yes. and the undercarriage and running gear is black against yes. a black turntable for the scanning process. Yeah. So the short answer was, you know, for a complete model, I I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, if it was a laser-type 3D scanner, uh, the results may have been significantly better. Mm. But the... In terms of what it claims it can do, even when I presented it with a, a very simple item, I took the caboose out of the equation. The, um, the wife of the, of the couple that live here that own this, own this house, uh, there was a rumor going around at one point that she had a thing for elephants. So everybody mm-hmm. started doing her various elephant figurines. Anyway, I found one of these things and I thought, okay, it's a, it's a simpler shape. It's an organic shape rather than an engineered shape. I'll try scanning that. And I could prove that the scanner did not have the one micron resolution scan capability that it alleges. It just, the flat out just did not occur. But you are dealing so, with optics. I mean, I think that's difficult when you, when they make that, those kind of claims with optics. That's usually probably on some, I don't know, do they still use marble slabs and things like this? I mean, there are all these things with optics that it's all very sensitive stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. The, um, the way that the iron scan rig is set up is that it's got a, a, a unitary head unit hmm. that's got a VGA projector in it in the center and it's got a pair of what are literally webcams is all they are mounted on each side and it's all in one unit and everything's fixed focus there's nothing to adjust there's no angles to tweak you just place it aim it at the turntable and off you go yeah which if it's absolutely bulletproof and nothing moves that would be you know makes things tremendously simple that's fantastic but if any of the things get bumped out of alignment exactly. or if the thing somehow gets warped or if the focus just isn't what it should be well then out to lunch and, you know, the, the, the result is not what you're looking for. So, or at least it's not what it claims to be. It does manage to scan something. It does give you something on screen. But, uh, in terms of its ability, its claimed ability to scan and directly print from that app, you know, effectively 3D reproducing straight away, I got to tell you, I wouldn't trust it. If you, uh, if you try to take it that next step, the, the same gentleman who, um, who, who lent me this 3D scanner. He happens to be equipped with, uh, PLA and, um, laser sublimation printers as well. His, yes. his most recent toy is a, a form two, uh, 3D printer, which can actually pull up some pretty amazing work. I've seen some stuff done recently with it and it really is, it's, it's one of the first 3D printers I've seen where I could genuinely look at a printed part and say, you know, I could, just paint that and put that on a model. I don't have to finish it. I don't have to, uh, uh, I don't have to uh, grind it, sand it, smooth it, do anything with it. It's actually coming out of the printer smooth enough to use. Yes. But the, uh, the, the path from the Einscan scanner to that unit is via an STL file. And the software for the Einscan does allow you to spit out an STL. And it gives you the option of either a watertight model for printing or a non-watertight model for drawing. 
and some of the aberrations I was getting out of both of those options, having scanned the caboose, uh, as I say, they were a joke. The um, the response from uh, one 3D drawing bod who's, who I sent the STLs of the caboose to and said, hey, you, you know what we're trying to play with, import these into AutoCAD Fusion 360 and tell me if the allegation that if we start with a scan you clean them up in Fusion, that then gives you something you can 3D print. It gives you a shortcut to making the model because you at least start with something that's roughly right. Uh, Tell me if this can work. And the response came back, the amount of time and effort required to clean up this source STL for mechanical shapes, for for, for engineered shapes, you may as well just start drawing from scratch. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's boring, isn't it? That's boring. this this was the thing. I mean, you you had to you had to give it a go in order to find out. Yes. And the gentleman who yes. uh, who lent me the three D scanner, he wanted to give it a go. He put his money where his mouth is. Um. And you know, these are the results that we that we turned out with. Um. I mean, uh, love the man dearly, but mm-hmm. this is a gentleman mm-hmm. who has gone out of his way. He's made this statement to me before. He's owned pretty much every version of Dragon, naturally speaking, that's been produced for the last 10 years because he will do anything to avoid having to manually type. Yes. Uh, so along the same lines, you can see if you've got that mindset in your head, the idea that he would go to a 3D scanner as a desperate attempt to not have to draw on the computer, it kind of makes sense. It's, a, it's, a, it's the same kind of shortcut concept, shortcut mentality. Uh, the reality is, though, that the the gear, as I think Terry's referenced, I'm not sure where they're getting their specs from in terms of what it allegedly can do, but the results that we're seeing, and I've gone to inordinate lengths to try every variable of the few variables that the software allows. Uh, yeah, I'm just not seeing it. <laughs> well, on to even sadder things. John yes. Garrity, last recording, let us all know that Brooklyn 3AM is no more. Correct. And the, uh, in the, in the process of, uh, it's actually, it wasn't directly related to the Renault. It was related to the previous moving of houses when we purchased the place that we're now renovating. Brooklyn mm. came out of its, its original place where it was built, the place where it lived and everything was wonderful. Uh, it went into temporary storage and domestic space. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't moved by me during that process. And in that process, it was stored on its end rather than uh, sitting flat. And okay, so a couple of the models within the layout uh, took some took some minor damage in that process, but that's that's fine. It was it was kind of a case of well, all right, there were things in there that the models maybe weren't uh, weren't absolutely everything that we wanted them to be, or there's been developments in techniques and technologies. So this is an opportunity to kind of take what amounts to now it was okay before now it's now it's placeholder status go back rework it you know upgrade it put it back in place and the whole layout as a whole gets a lift anyway that work didn't get done during that domestic space it then went from that domestic space into storage as we talked about most of the well, the vast majority of the modeling stuff went in storage and in moving into storage it was it was stored the right way up the correct way up uh, the aluminium frame around the foam core module was effectively an open top 
it's just an aluminium cube. Yeah. So yeah. top there's just four members, two long members, two short members, and the big area on top, it's it's large and open. In order to the way that it ended up being stacked is that there were boxes and things stacked on top of the layout. Mm. I estimate mm. something along the lines of three hundred plus kilos worth of stuff stuck mm. on top of the layout. Now the aluminium frame took it. Not a problem, no structural issues. The layout didn't take any damage due to that stacking. Uh, one thing that was done in order to try and spread that load across the frame, the leg system, the leg trestle that usually goes underneath was folded flat and was mounted on top of the Q-block frame. And so it acted as a spreader. And that was fine and it did, it did quite happily under those conditions. It didn't take any additional damage, anything that it hadn't taken already. In under those conditions, uh, that was through the moving from from our original premises to uh, our original house to the place we we are renovating now. Yes, and that was fine. It lived in there. It was it was pending pending uh, uh, finalization of the renos. Anyway, in getting prepped for the renos and moving out into temporary accommodation, a lot of other stuff came out of the house, got boxed, got put in storage. Those boxes again. Some of those were stacked on top of Brooklyn. Uh, the total load uh, on top of Brooklyn at that point is estimated about 400 kilos. Mm. Uh, um, and again, it's taking it quite happily until uh, in one of the last weekends that we were moving stuff before we moved out of the house to be renovated, during the process of, of kind of half having boxes stacked and having the storage locker not perfectly cubed, I put some boxes in, everything was fine, Locked the storage locker up, went back home to get another load of boxes, came back, and what I discovered was that the uh, the leg system, which was acting as a load spreader, had slipped. Yeah. As a result, one end of the load spreader was not supported anymore, and the entire 400-kilo load of boxes on top of the layout now, instead of putting their, all of the weight, all the load on the aluminium frame, had gone down through the rather large hole in the middle of that top frame member, and it applied directly on top of the foam core, mm. so it essentially collapsed the uh, collapsed the roof system down on top of the scene. This was an interesting discovery. This was a discovery that uh, kind of had me a bit confused as to how it happened. But anyway, moving on. Yes. Boxes came out of the storage locker. Brooklyn came out. It was it was discovered fairly quickly that the speakers in the roof had survived. The lights had survived. The wiring had survived. Um, some of those buildings which had taken damage when the layout was stored on its end, they'd now taken some more damage. All of the uh, electrics in the base section had survived, not a problem at all. All of the electrics in the back had survived. The highway overpass that um, foiled the traverser, uh, it was one of the things that had taken damage when the layout was tipped on its end. It was now collapsed to the floor. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it's done. The lights on it are done. Somehow the trucks on there survived, but I don't know what state the fiber optics and the lights in those trucks are. Yeah. I don't know whether they survived or not. There was some pretty heavy shear forces went on. Yeah. Uh, the, strangely enough, when the bridge collapsed, the bridge collapsed on top of the homeless guy's camp. And it was the trusses of the bridge that, um, that hit the ground and protected the homeless guy's camp. <laughs> So the homeless guys are still homeless, 
but they survived. Um, so that was okay. No model uh, humans were injured. Very good. No, no model humans were injured in the destruction of this layout. So anyway, the upshot, the upshot of all of this is that the roof structure was taken to the point where it couldn't be immediately recovered as it was. Yes. Um, yeah. It would require taking the foam core module out and rebuilding it uh, with the way that the Renaults are going, there will be a dedicated train room in the resulting in the resulting building. Certainly. It's not going to be huge, but yeah. it's going to be large enough to do the job, do what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. other there's other layout projects which are on the boil. I was talking with some people, I think it was last weekend, and they they didn't know that Brooklyn had gone, but they mm-hmm. kind of said, "Look, you haven't really been modelling a layout for any, you know." you haven't built anything for a while. What are you going to be modeling next? And I had to explain to them that there was something like 20 odd layout projects in various stages of gestation, various You're stages kisser, right? of slow boy. Well, this is the thing. Yes. But the, the problem, the problem is you can kit a layout up to a certain point, but unless the actual motivation and the drive is there for a given subject, if, if a given theme hasn't grabbed you by the, by the mm-hmm. lapels and kind of, you know, won't let go until you kick onto it. If you haven't actually hit both the, the physical model, uh, the source material critical mass and the, and the, the motivational critical mass to go for it, well, then nothing really moves. So as a result, Brooklyn was currently taking up space that wasn't actually achieving much. It's now not taking up space. Uh, some strategic bits of the, um, uh, some strategic scenes have been uh, retrieved, uh, complete. One of the fantastic things about foam core is I was able to stick a knife straight through the foam core and retrieve, the, lift the entire scene out, including its respective electronics and LEDs. And yes. um, I was able to retrieve the traverser, the traverser drive system, the drop leaves. Uh, most of the structures were retrieved iris- uh, disregarding their, their level of, of, of damage. Yeah. Because I mean things like the Walther's um the Walther's industry flats, the, the the walls and things, I mean, worst comes to worst, the structures get split apart from a three D structure and get turned into a whole load of flats and can get repurposed, rebuilt, reused, this kind of thing. I mean there's plenty of life in the various components Certainly. that remain. But the layout itself has done what it needed to do largely. Um, there's a couple of things I would have liked to do more with it. I would have liked to get it out to a few more shows, but it is what it is. But yes, the, the, the components will live on the trains, uh, the trains weren't on the layout. The trains were in foam core storage trays, which were in another crate, which was, is up the back of the storage locker. So the trains still exist, which means there's always a possibility of, of coming back to New York Cross Harbor, New York E. Car, New York car floating and, and you know, looking at somewhere else or, or re-spinning. Let's talk about something happy and positive in the light of all these yep. other things. The Narrow Gauge Convention. Yes. The layout that you built for the Narrow Gauge Convention, you talked to me about the layout that you built for the Narrow Gauge Convention, then I was able to see it in photographic form. Yep. Is this going to be a part of your train room? No. Uh, the layout, uh, wooden days was the layout, uh, four foot by 18 inch overall. Uh, although it's, it's got a bit of a curvy shape to it, which was, which was one of the, the developments. One of the can, we can do layouts that are square and boxed. That's, Mm. that's relatively easy. Most Mm. people can build a module that way. I've done trapezoid 
pseudo curved modules that are trapezoid based yeah. with a curved yeah. front. So we knew that foam core could do that. But having seen some people build free form layouts where the, the front fascia almost looks as if it's, it bows in, it bows out, it curves around the place. The question became, well, could foam core do that? And the answer as displayed by wooden days is that yes, it could. Yeah. Anyway, that layout was a, was a six week speed build, mm-hmm. uh, 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 genuine dead rail, uh, literally wood rails. So, uh, genuine dead rail. None of this, oh, I'm, I'm unable to make, uh, all wheel pickup work. I'm unable to understand how graphite works. Therefore, I'm going to throw away every bit of electronics that's actually human hand sized and soldering irons that, or of a size that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm going to oblige myself to wire angel hair wire, uh, and such like in order to avoid these things. Anyway, we, we won't dig too deeply into that. You understand the concept. Certainly. Anyway, wood, wooden rails was built to play host to a ON42 days tractor loco, yeah. uh, which is a typical, uh, Fordson tractor locomotive conversion that was uh, locally manufactured down here in Australia and was used on many logging and some industrial lines. Uh, the log bogies, the disconnects for those, those who are so inclined are uh, using uh, 3D printed and uh, lost wax converted to brass, uh, spar line wood tread wheels, mm. 3D printed mm. plumber blocks, uh, all this kind of work. It all went together. The layout made it to the convention the vibe was good. The crowd response was good. Uh, it, it G'd up some people, which was fantastic. Uh, it also worked. I was going to the convention. Uh, I was there to, to, well, one of the things, one of the reasons I was there was to speak on layout sound. So it, the layout worked there quite well as a layout sound demo. It had a uh, Logitech, uh, 2.1 speaker rig installed in it, an MP3 player. And that was, that was positive. Anyway, the end result, having done the convention, the layout was put in uh, a vehicle that wasn't mine and was returned to, or not returned to, but was was given to the gentleman who owned who owns the Days Tractor Loco. Yes, because it was it was he that initially had said, "Look, I've got this, I've got this Days sure. Tractor Loco. I need somewhere for it to live." Yeah. So I built somewhere for it to live, and he got it. You say six okay. weeks. Roughly how yep. many hours over those six weeks to build this layout of this quality? Okay. Uh, I've got to try and do the maths on it. <laughs> the first – well, the, 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 up, the upshot is it was, sev- it was seven days a week. Mm-hmm. It was uh, – I, I was holding down – I was doing my, my day job. So the build each night started at about seven o'clock. Uh, Annie will, Annie will go to points to tell you that towards the end that was burning through till five in the morning. Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, so we're talking, we're talking 10 hours build, build time per night in the last, the last week or so. But for the build times leading up to it, it was weekends and it was maybe, maybe four hours, maybe five hours, maybe six hours a night. There was a significant amount of, hurry up and wait in the early week in the in the first week or two as things like we were trying to engineer what exactly the foam core could do yeah. which in contrast to previous foam core layouts the backdrop on this one was curved horizontally not vertically so 
that changed the whole roof structure system. It changed the way that the lighting system was deployed in it. Uh, it's the first foam call layout that I've done that had a properly from the ground up from day one integrated LED uh, softbox lighting system. Mm. And so that took a little bit of effort. There was uh, There is a sheet of baking paper is what it is, greaseproof baking paper, Gosh. forms the top. And the LED strips are mounted above that. But the back of the LED strips are not enclosed. So the way the lighting system works is that the primary light source is, is the warm white LEDs shining down through the diffuser, through the baking paper to avoid LED hotspot. A lot of people have said when they've used LED strips, they end up with uh, light dots. They get hot spots from each of the LED elements. Well, stick it through a diffuser, that job goes away. But there was also this problem that if the fascia, particularly the roof fascia, if it follows the same path as the base fascia mm. there, and there's no overhang of the lighting rig, then you have the room light falling on the front edge of the layout and then you have the layout lighting lighting up the mid to back edge of the of the layout scene. Yes. And that then kind of gives you these two, two colour feeds and people start going, well, hold on, that looks a bit weird or when you take photos of it, it looks a bit strange. So the solution to this was to make the lighting rig uh, open towards the top so that any ambient light from the room would also came down through the lighting structure, was diffused by the same paper that was diffusing the LEDs. Wow. So instead of it being two different types of light falling on the scene and there being a, a reasonably well-defined line between where one light source stops and the other one starts, by allowing the ambient light through the lighting structure, that diffuse lighting system, it's not a hard line in change of light source anymore. It ended up with a much smoother transition. If there was going to be a transition from the way the ambient light was hitting it to the layout lighting, it was going to be a lot less obvious. Mm. And with all of the light being diffuse when it hits the layout, the whole idea of, oh, there's hard shadows against the backdrop and things, well, that's virtually eliminated because there's no direct light source Certainly. hitting any part of the scene anywhere. So that worked. That worked quite well. The uh, the wood rails, obviously, that was a whole engineering exercise in and of Certainly. itself. I, I count six weeks. By linear time, it was actually eight weeks, but there was a week and a half, almost two weeks worth of I was shipped off to China for a week yes. to do some to work. So I actually – and I couldn't take anything with me. I couldn't model anything on the layout during that time. So I ended up with a situation where – I was sitting there in a in in a hotel room in China, uh, more rolling over the things that I had to engineer and I had to problem solve rather than actually doing it, which of course was intensely frustrating because you just want to get in there and do it. You, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to waste. Anyway, uh, I also I took. I'm trying to remember. Did I take a week either side, or did I only take half a week? I think I only took half a week either side of the convention itself so the the last couple of nights no i think I, no i must have taken a week either side because the monday tuesday before the wednesday when we packed the gear in the car and took off for the convention those last two nights were almost 24 hour shifts yeah gosh uh, but once but once it was done once we got to kind of monday night 
it was a case of, look, if it hasn't been done by now, it's pretty much done. Yeah, that's it. It's too yeah. late. Uh, everything's where it needed to be. So that was done. The layout was loaded in the car Tuesday night. We launched Wednesday morning, uh, took our time getting down to Melbourne, uh, got down to Geelong Friday afternoon, Ooh, loaded okay. in, got it up, got it running, uh, did the Saturday, did the Sunday, uh, packed the layout into, into the delivery vehicle, uh, Sunday afternoon, then took our time coming home via Falls Creek. Got up into the mountains for a bit, so that was good. Wonderful. Uh, then back recovery and back to work again. Yes. So really, it was six months packed into six weeks. Into six weeks. Well, literally, it was it was go to woe. It started from a blank space, no layout legs, no layout frame, no layout phone call module. The uh, I mean, I didn't have. <laughs> I'd, I'd made a comment to the uh, to the gentleman who owned the um owned the tractor loco he'd kind of said to me look can you do this uh i've got this loco i need a home for it you know blah 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 and we kind of oh yeah that can be done this can be done um can it have a winch scene yeah we're pretty sure we can do that can it have a bridge scene yeah sure we can do that <laughs> oh yeah and can it be ready for the convention oh yes and that that kind of conversation was happening back around december i remember i was there i i kind of i i, I mentioned I mentioned to this gent, look, here's, here's how it's going to have to work. I need the tractor loco and the log bogies, and I need those by 1st Feb. If I don't have them by 1st Feb, I'm going to run out of time. The, the, the project management simply says it's not going to get there. So that's, that's the deadline. As it turned out, the tractor loco arrived uh, something like the 7th of Feb, and then we had a battery charger for the loco blow up. So the uh, the uh, battery charge we need another battery charger. There was also a minor mechanical uh, thing with the with the tractor loco, which uh, required it to go home to its to its manufacturer and then come back again. So having said, look, first Feb or it's not happening. I ended up taking on things like the design of the foam core. The, the track plan, the scene design, and the basic beginnings of the foam core uh, module, all of that happened before we actually had the equipment needed to make it happen and uh, ended up with a working result. As I say, as, as the photos and history now shows, it did work quite well. Yes. But I, I'd kind of – I'd set the time frame. I'd set the time frame that I was going to work with and – as Annie pointed out to me on a number of occasions, uh, yeah, you know, you said you were going to, you said you were going to set yourself a time frame, and you went past it anyway. So, yes, yes. <laughs> and you worked six to ten hours a night on it. Yes, yes. on it. Yeah. It Very was, good. um, yes. It, let's 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 not mess about. I mean, there it was. It was a mission. It was a mission that needed. Uh, the, the 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 mission parameters were were fairly fairly tightly specified so went for it did it mission accomplished move on to the next mission very good very good you're an inspiration professor it's always a pleasure to catch up we've got a few new callers i want to get to but thank you very much for calling in and yes taps were certainly played for brooklyn 3am when we heard the news <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully hopefully the um the physical space that it that it took up and the, the various, uh, physical and emotional energy that it took up. Um, hopefully we can, um, 
we can rechannel that into whatever comes next. The big question, Tom, that I have to ask you is when are we going to have our next um, small slash shelf layout design? Very interesting that you ask that question, actually, because that's certainly one part of the show that I've always enjoyed. And I think in particular, and this isn't part of canon because it's been edited out, but Malcolm Johnson is doing something very nice for me. He's building a small shelf layout for me because he is so enamoured with the advice that I gave him associated with cutting apart his layout, and he's having (laughs) a lot of fun doing it. So my view is actually that this is highly topical, but actually for a number of reasons, particularly associated with modules. So I think what I might do is do a small shelf layout contest as part of a layout that grows, because I think that ticks a few boxes. So maybe... What we'll do is have the shelf, small shelf component, and then the potential to add that small shelf component into a larger layout. How does that sound, Professor? Yeah, that, that, that makes, that makes complete sense to me. Uh, uh, there are umpteen number of people who look at small layout competitions and kind of go, well, you know, if that's the extent of it, it's a, it's the second, it's the second place prize. It's the thing that you have because you can't really have what you, you know, the big thing that you want. And the thing that I think is missing in that, in that whole statement is that some people don't actually want the big thing. The small thing is the focus. It's not the second prize. It's the actual aim of the event. So to optimize a small thing within an inch of its life that every element is working to its utmost, I mean, that should be celebrated in and of itself. However, if someone builds a small layout as the focus and then they do gain an extra four feet worth of linear length somewhere, why not? Why can't we extend on? Why Why does a small layout have to be that's it and all about it? So, yes, absolutely. I like the idea. I like the concept. I'll be very interested to see where you go with it. So as a footnote to this thing and also why I'm considering it currently, aside from Malcolm Johnson's interest, I was up in Sonoma County with my wife. Maybe last weekend, maybe, well, last week, week ago. Yeah, let's say 10 days ago. Anyway, I was up in Sonoma County 10 days ago, and I stumbled across a tiny little train shop that was selling a bunch of, what was the term? What's the term? Like deceased state items. And bought okay. uh, maybe uh, three, maybe four boxcars and a beautiful little jumping locomotive. All neatly weathered, okay. all owned by a previous occupant who'd installed DCC in the little locomotive. Right. I thought to myself, oh, I've got some turnouts, I've got some straight track, I could probably do something with this. So I think my own interest in shelf layouts currently is to showcase some recent purchases. And yeah, yeah I think um, onwards and upwards for this thing. Let me formalise the contest rules. As I'm editing this audio, I will let out formalise it some more. I'll put it out there. Um, any other stipulations do you think I should add to this particular contest, Professor? Uh, uh, stipulations are inevitably the thing that they suit someone's idea of what a layout is, but <laughs> they inevitably, yes. that, that they inevitably, uh, either, either they, they limit the potential creativity of, of someone who might otherwise participate, but go, no, I can't fit within those parameters, so I'm not going to. I don't know. Uh, that's that's a that's a tough wall to climb. Mm. Uh, Tom, I, uh, what I Leave mean, with me. the, the things the things that you've the specs that you've previously put forward uh, for for various for various um 
uh, contests. I mean, I think they kind of work. I I wouldn't want to suggest that you uh, you directly plagiarize any existing contests which are currently going on on other forums or online model railway. Uh, uh, locations. I'm blissfully but, unaware of said contest, so that might make me. I don't. I can't. I don't think I can plagiarize if I don't know. But you never know. People could assert <laughs> that. So maybe maybe I should wait a few months until said contests have passed, or maybe they're just always well, ongoing there, contests. So, so some of some of them are in process. Some of them are running, and some of them are currently the the winners are in the process of being published as we speak. So, uh, yeah. yes, there's there's some things there. But the the idea of the idea of starting with a something where the something could be whatever dimensions you choose to mm-hmm. stipulate as part of the contest rules. Yes, but with um as part of the the contest entry, uh, there being either. Uh, stipulate the bit that, that matters, but also show how it fits into a larger context or stipulate the bit that matters and show that you can put, uh, uh, something, uh, you know, runoff tracks on either end to allow it to be operated, uh, while in small form factor. Certainly. Uh, these kind of ideas are being fleshed out in various places. So it's, it is a topical way of approaching, approaching, uh, layout building. Most definitely. Most definitely. Well, I look forward to your entry, Professor, and I'd better get the contest rules written, but I will do so shortly. And always a pleasure catching up. Always a pleasure catching up. I'm sorry you're not in home as yet, but it sounds like sometime in the next few months you will be, hopefully. Let's, let's hope, let's hope so. The, the challenge, and uh, I will actually throw this out there if, if anyone wants to kind of put up some ideas. Um, the, the train room and on the plan, the original plans called for bedroom one, uh, master bedroom, bedroom two, bedroom three. And very quickly, because of the way that we reference our house, they were referenced as bedroom, study, and train room. Now, this confused the builder a little bit, and it confused the guy who was designing, the, 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 the architect who was designing the inside of the house. But they all came to the agreement fairly quickly that we all had to standardize on a set of names, a set of, set of terms sure. for each of the rooms. So on the plans, it is it has been officially decreed that the uh, the eight foot by twelve foot room up the end of the house is the train room, and thus everyone involved in the project will will refer to it as such. The question and the thing that I'd be interested to see if anyone's got any kind of thoughts on it's an eight foot by twelve foot room. Uh, one of the long walls has the door in it, so it's uh, effectively got about eight foot worth of clear space. Yes. It has to store whatever layouts are built and it has to allow them to get out, get out of the room to go to exhibitions, this kind of thing. It's got to store, uh, any materials which are required to build whatever layouts currently in progress. It also has to accommodate a two foot by four foot workbench area. Certainly. The question would be ha- any suggestions as to how someone might recommend the footprint of the, of the room is laid out. To allow maximum usage for layout build work and uh, maximum utility of the area, I'd be very interested to see if anyone's given that. The windows on the long wall or the short wall, or both the long wall and the short wall as well. Sorry, I missed. I missed the first bit. Are the windows? Let me start again. Are the windows on the long wall, the short wall, or both the long wall and the short wall? Okay, there is uh, from the doorway. Looking, standing at the doorway, 
To your right, you have an eight-foot part of a long wall. Certainly. The wall you are facing opposite the door is a 12-foot wall. Okay. The wall to your left, which has the door opening in on it, yes. it's an eight-foot wall, but because it has a 30-inch door on it, it only has, what, six and a half feet worth of clear linear space to allow the door to open. Certainly. The wall opposite that, so up the far end of the room, yes. has a, has a uh, full-size window on it, full-size double-slide window on it, which is intended, It's in uh, the window in there has been specified so that the sliding half of the window can be removed so that layouts can be handed straight out of the room, straight through the wall of the building, <laughs> round the corner into the carport and straight into the back of the Subaru. Worry, very good. <laughs> okay, that's the, that's the important nuanced part that was really missing with your initial description. Why are you asking <laughs> anyone for advice, Professor? You've clearly worked this whole thing out. Okay, very good. It, it sounds like All instead right. of a, lay, a, um, a layout design contest, it's going to be a, a contest on designing the pro, uh, prop's train room. Yeah, <laughs> well, could, well, well, I think the prop's already designed his train room. I mean, all this kind of... Help me, I don't know what I'm doing here stuff just seems to be purely for whimsy because if you're passing layouts through the uh, window that's specially designed to pass layouts through it, I think you've spent a little bit of time thinking about said train room, Professor. Uh, well, there's, there's there's a degree of thinking about it. There's also a degree of just what the space is that is actually available. But uh, things like against which wall do you put the workbench Mm. Do you try to maintain the one twelve foot clear clearly. wall? Yeah, no, you maintain that one wall. You maintain that one wall. That's without question. You clearly put it either against the short. Well, actually, I think you'd put it against the wall with the door on it because you've already got your space eliminated there, and you can use that quite successfully. But no, you want the long. You want the long wall, unmolested, so to speak. You definitely want that. <laughs> <laughs> so you know such as such as the way we're, we're kind of we'll give it a go and we'll see what it does but uh, i am i am quite serious though I, i'd be very interested to see if anyone has any kind of immediate gotcha headspace in terms of in terms of um you know where things should go shouldn't go will i hamstring myself if i do it in any particular yes. way professor always a pleasure chatting please stay on the line if you can and uh we'll look forward to your next update talk to you soon take okay. care Talk soon. Cheers. I'd like to welcome Brad Donovan onto the show. Beautiful Kelpie photo, might I add. I absolutely love Kelpie, so great to see yes. a Kelpie as your uh, logo. Please yep. introduce your model railroading running interest. Okay, three gauges, N, H, O, and G. You may have seen the photos on the group at Christmas time. Um, the G scale comes out or Certainly. had come out Christmas. Looking forward to having a permanent garden railway at some stage. Mm. I've got a, oh, it would be six foot by three, four foot um, N scale layout that has been shipped from Australia across to the new house in the US. I haven't unpacked yet, and uh, yeah, boxes and boxes of um, hobby store product sitting in the basement. So as someone who has come to the US as well, can you describe the, the packing up process? Can you describe the moving process and how you maintain the hobby <laughs> in the US? 
Yeah, well, we, we, we shipped a 24 container over there and it was a big juggling act to get things in and, and whatnot. But um, um, the, all the trains got packed. There was bits and pieces I found at the end that have been slowly taking over. I, I, I still work in Australia and I travel backwards and forwards um, to there, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I just got back last Saturday week ago and um, from a, a week over there but yeah it's uh, it was interesting put it that way of going through everything and um, we had no major issues other than um, the container lobbying on oh, it was in October last year it must have been around Thanksgiving so we got delays so we had to pay storage fees and such yeah. forth and then um, the one thing I did notice is transport in the US is nothing like here in Australia so you know, to get a tilt tray to drop the container was near on impossible. So it was a, unfortunately, the wife was there. So she, uh, she it was a big juggling act. But yeah, all good. Um, where we're living, the nearest club we stumbled across is um, probably a half hour, forty five minutes drive away. Other than that, we had I would have had to go to Springfield, which is about uh, hour and twenty minutes drive. So yeah, it's a little church club up in a place called Campbellton on um, Lake of the Ozarks. Wonderful. Uh, wonderful. So in terms of your other scales, did they travel well? Have you been able to unpack the stuff? What, what, what are you looking at there? Yeah, yeah no, every, everything's – no, there were no breakages. Um, we, we packed everything ourselves into the container, furniture and, and the whole lot, did all that. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very apt at finding pockets to put things into. So, yeah, the container was, was quite full. We actually – I think we were uh, one or 200 kilos under legal weight for the uh, the – transport when they came and picked the container up so it was it was pretty good i'm pretty good at doing that sort of stuff so yes yeah, so i was just thinking when the professor was talking about uh, how to lay out his room and that sort of thing and <laughs> i was thinking like yeah okay let's uh yeah we, we can do this we can work this out but um no all good and then yeah so no, the, the, everything was fine the only thing is the i have the same problem with my n-scale layout that you have tom with cats why cats like to lie on model train layouts i don't know yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we had uh, our cats called Jinxie and uh, we had Hurricane Jinxie go through and uh, wiped out quite a few trees on the layout. Yeah, mine has, uh, well, mine have, one is particularly associated with, as you say, trees and that kind of stuff. But I have another one that thinks that turnouts are banjos and just plays turnouts. <laughs> no, mine don't do that. Well, well, this one doesn't do that. So, yeah, yeah. as far as the... As far as the uh, Kelpie's concerned, uh, unfortunately, uh, we had to put her down a couple of weeks ago. She she made the journey across to Australia, and that photo is actually of her in St. Louis Airport when she arrived uh, August last year. So, um, yeah, she she was diabetic with, um, and then she went blind and she went mm. deaf, and then she got a blood clot. But yeah, she's dealing mm. this. But yeah, no, she was good. She. Uh, she used to be intrigued by the garden railway and these yeah. things going around above her head and she couldn't quite work out what on earth they were. But, yeah, no, it's all good fun. I'm looking forward to um, getting a layout. Unfortunately, my stepson's in the my, my, uh, layout room at the moment. I've got to build him another bedroom at some stage uh-huh. in the future. And uh, then I will um, inherit a room that's about 25 feet by, oh. I think, uh, about 16 foot. So we've got a um, full fully finished basement in the house, uh, which is about 1,200 square feet. So I'd like to try and obtain a little bit more real estate subject to the Minister for Home Finance's approval. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So you're in Massachusetts, that area, New England? No, 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 Missouri. 
Missouri. Ah, Missouri. Yeah, smack, smack bang in the middle in the US. So yeah, interesting, interesting. And you don't have a train club near you? Well, I mean, you've got a train club relatively close, but you don't have one in your town yeah. or anything. No, no, no. There's nothing in the town. There used to be a town called. We're we're in uh, Waynesville, St. Roberts. We've got a huge army base just near us at uh, Fort Leonardwood, and there's a town about 20 minutes away towards St. Louis called Roller. And there's a there's a hobby shop there, uh, but it's never open, and the phone doesn't answer, and its website's defunct. So, yeah. but they've still got all stock and everything like, and it's just like they've walked out and just and. Yeah, no one knows. You talk to the other shopkeepers next door, and yeah, we don't know what's going on. So, yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yes, they just skipped town. That sounds like a uh, yeah. Yeah, but where the we're up at Camden, where the the club is, there's a hobby shop up there, and um, he's we just stumbled across it, hadn't seen ads or anything like that because I've done like googling and all that, and we just the, the wife and I just go for drives around to see what's where, and she says, "Oh, did you see the train shop?" I said, "No." And she's like, oh, let's park and go and have a look. So, yeah, so I went and went back and had a wander in and all that. And, yeah, mile of stock of all different gauges and yeah, very reasonably priced as well. So he's going to get some patronage. Very good. Very mm. good. And that's uh, – but, yeah, so I haven't had a chance to go up to the club. The club meets every uh, Saturday at the local church hall. But, yeah, just haven't well, – it was probably eight, nine weeks ago that we, we found it and uh, just haven't had a chance to went on back there to, to go up there and see it. So, yeah. But looking forward to it, looking forward to spending more time there and getting back into my um, layouts. And I used to have fun with the N-scale layout, getting that going. I want to convert it to DCC. And, yeah, so just do some practicing on that. Certainly, certainly. Mepikes later in the chat saying that uh, we had a caller who was in your part of the world, but um, we've had so many callers it's always <laughs> difficult to work out who actually the caller was. But... Uh, Give the Brain Trust some opportunity to uh, to get in contact. And you're obviously on the Facebook group. So, yes, if anyone is in your part of the world and wants to get together and talk well, trains. You, you, gave, you gave a shout-out um, when I was first, you know, 18 months ago when we first looked at moving over there, that um, four people and the, 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 the closest we could find were either side of the border, up around Kansas City and down oh, yes. at... Um, uh, along the Mississippi on the east, the eastern border there, but yeah. So, but oh no, look, there's, there's going to be um, solo operators, I'm certain, around the place and all that. They just just haven't come out of the woodwork yet, but we'll find them. Well, as you say, you know, shops and these kind of things is a good place to to meet people mm. and potentially put up cards and things like that too. So, yes, always interesting moving countries. It's something that I've done quite a few times through my life, but it's always an interesting experience. Yes. Yes, I've had a. I've got some uh, company over in the UK is trying to poach me to go over there and do some stuff for them, but um, uh, yeah, just can't at the present time. The, the, the reason we moved to the US is the, the wife's parents were getting elderly and frail, and uh, the wife virtually just hit the floor, and her father was in for brain surgery, and then unfortunately he passed away at Christmas time. So now we're dealing with a mum, but that's all good, and yeah. So I well, that's what got um, me back to this country as well. So. I'm yeah. well aware of in-law in-law related uh, medical yeah. emergencies. So yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, that's how it all goes. So, no, it's all good. I'm yeah, looking forward to it. And the, the I'm getting used to the plane trips and the uh, where to sit on the plane. And I usually <laughs> end I usually end up with a row of seats, so yes. which is good. So I, I know all the the you know, tips and tricks and where to sit and when to fly and all that sort of thing. So you get used to that. I think I'm up to my. I fly out again on the 9th of August, and that'll be my sixth sixth trip this year. Yeah. So, yeah. I've done that um, as well. 
Worst fun. Yes. Yes, yes. It's all good fun. All good fun. So, yeah, no, totally enjoy listening to the, the program and getting uh, tips from different people. And and your usual thing is you ask people, well, what can we add? And I think you're doing a fantastic job in covering what you've done. And I don't know how I stumbled across it, but um, I listened to some of the, the, the more recent ones probably two, three years ago. And I thought, no, I've got to go back and listen to the start. So, yeah, I, I'd throw that, you know, put it all onto a thumbstick sort of thing and just go through and and listen to them and had a great old time. I thought, oh, okay, yeah. that's a good idea. So yeah. Mike Slater, Mike Slater in the chat has been working on this, and Robert Dye, also known as Bob Dye, he is definitely the guy. He's on the Facebook page too. So we need to connect you two because he's very close to you, and he actually has quite a substantial kind of a trained shed more than anything. So, yeah, I'll need to get you in contact with Robert yeah, Dye. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, he's certainly a previous participant, and if you've listened to some, I don't know when the last time he called in was, maybe three years ago. So, mm. yeah, but he's, he's friends with Clark Cooning as well, so no doubt he's oh, okay. trouble. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I'll get you in contact with him and we'll see where it goes. Oh, that'd be great. Awesome. No worries. Well, thank you very much for having me on. And Definitely. last time I tried to get on, I had a, a laptop that was haywire and has since died. Oh, and I've yes. got another one now and I wasn't sure how this was going to work. And I had my wife's Facebook account there and I thought that's going to confuse you with Nancy coming up. And yeah, mm. it'll work. <laughs> but then, it'll all work. good. Good it chatting does, with yeah. you, Brad. All yeah, the best with the uh, transit stuff. And, yeah, uh, no problem. Look, look forward to participating further. Thank you. Bye-bye. Great. See you. I'd like to welcome back Hello. a gentleman who seems to have been doing quite a bit of travelling recently. In fact, I was just sure that he'd unfriended me on Facebook, but off social media for, what, two and a half weeks, something like that. But lots of nice pictures oh, yeah. that are slowly flowing in. Yep. Dave Falkenberg, what's going on with your model railroading hobby? Finishing up projects. Uh, I, I just took two weeks off entirely from work, from trains, from everything. Social um, media? Yes. Everything. Um, and then today I just finished up uh, installing... Uh, sound decoder that I started installing about a year ago for my son's engine. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, work has been really crazy, so I haven't had much time and, uh, went, went on a vacation to recharge, rode some trains all around Switzerland. Yes. Um, and that was awesome. So I'm in the process of rebooting. Um, hopefully we'll have more time, you know, sometime in September, October. Um, and uh, hope to have a small shelf layout together. So I'm very eager to hear uh, about the planning uh, contest. I'm yes. at, this time, I'm actually going to build it. So Very good. Well, I yeah. should get that together quickly. I'm actually debating if I should edit the show and put it out before the last show, since I'm still... But similarly, interesting time of the year. I was able to get away for a week and really wasn't able to get away for a week, but anyway so yeah in terms of the trains of switzerland mm -hmm. did you make any purchases any train related purchases while you were away uh yeah so uh 25 years ago when i was on my honeymoon mm. i bought some swiss meter gauge actually it's german but it's it's um bemo meter gauge rightlish's bond uh passenger cars but i didn't have enough money to buy an engine so, uh, in the last, uh, little trip, I actually went and got myself an engine. Very so nice. now I, uh, now I have a train, which is kind of nice. It's better than two coaches and a baggage car. Mm. So, um, it's a little bit of closure on that. Um, <laughs> uh, and now I just have to find a place where I can buy 
uh, meter gauge HO meter gauge track, which is which is 12 millimeter, which is technically TT scale track, uh, a TT gauge track. But uh, I'm I'm looking for that. Uh, I went to the train shop today and. They unfortunately said they don't have a distributor, so I'm going to have to mm. no, order you need it to import it, I think. I think you need I to think, import it probably. I think there's a local guy who's a TT, TT nut or something, oh, and okay. he may be able to get me what I need. Both Tillig and BMO make flex tracks. So um, worst case, I, I can go fabricate a, a track gauge and, uh, and, and solder. So yes. we'll see. Yeah, it turns out turns out there's no straight track gauges coming from fast tracks, but there is a number six turnout uh, <laughs> jig. But I have all the other things. So, but you know, yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy. I guess it's yes. a twofer because it's a new gauge and it's an it, but it's the same scale, but it's different. And I will I will take no end of uh, ribbing from uh, Rich Murphy on Monday when he finds out uh, of my transgressions. So it's interesting because <laughs> certainly, yeah, certainly having, having followed you through model rail radio, I'm hesitant to ask about prior projects. Well, why don't I just put that aside? I won't ask about. Prior yeah. yeah, yeah. For, <laughs> uh, well, so the, I did make a lot of good progress on the, on the dock recently. Frequent. So, um, and it was just getting over. I had taken some drone footage. A friend of mine uh, has a DJI drone mm-hmm. and flew all over Pier 52 for me. Mm-hmm. And I discovered that I had made some assumptions based on the low res Google Earth and Apple Maps footage of the area. Um, and he got me some pictures that are definitely not obtainable by any other means than by a drone. Um, so I am in the process of revising some of the construction of the dock. Not entirely, but a lot of the detail work. Um, and I discovered that the end pilings are significantly more complicated than I had originally thought. So I'm actually right now drawing up in CAD to try to figure out if I'm going to 3D print or just fabricate the, uh, the curved pilings at the end. Um, they seem to be a design that seems to be pretty standard in the Bay Area um, amongst ferries, but um, <laughs> ferry docks, but... Uh, they definitely are more complicated than I originally thought. So that there's that. Um, so it's just I've had you know not a lot of time this summer to uh, to work on trains. We've been working a lot at SVL Certainly. trying to get stuff in order. Um, we have some folks coming in September to do some videotaping of the layout, and uh, so that's been to light a fire under everybody at the club to mm-hmm. gussy everything up. So uh, hopefully the uh, the ferry dock and the the HO scale ferry dock and the HO scale uh, transloading what uh, break bulk terminal will be operational in time for that. So very good. Yeah. Yes. It's been crazy, but I like I said, I spent two weeks off. I go back to work on Monday. <laughs> we'll find out how things are progressing. <laughs> yes. No work has formalized that Friday. Not only through the day, but actually into the evening is just not, oh, not yeah. something I can really do anymore. Thankfully, yeah, I don't have Friday night your podcasts. Your Monday so. is Friday, so that's that's kind of yeah, fun for you. No, my fr- well, my Friday it's, is Friday. My Monday is Friday Mark Two. My yes. Friday is Friday plus Friday plus Friday. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, oh, always Silicon fun. Valley. Yes. Yes. So yeah, unfortunately. 
I don't know. I mean, I think I'll continue to pay. I'm not sure what I'm paying, double membership or something. I'll continue to pay what I'm paying to Silicon Valley Lions, but my opportunity actually to set foot in Silicon Valley Lions is even more diminished than when it was previously diminished. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So Always cool. a pleasure catching up. Love the photo updates. Now you're back on social media. Like I yes. said, you were off for so long, I thought, clearly he's just unfriended me. So nah. I was... Uh, it, it's actually it's actually very very cool because um, being away from social media and work email for two weeks is just enough to get you out of the habit of habitually checking. Certainly. Um, and and you'd be surprised to take note of how much of your mental process is kind of this obsessive compulsive oh, checking. I'm well aware of that. I'm I'm and I'm it, well aware. And, of and that. I I've realized how much time. I have to do things if I don't sit there and scroll. Yes. And while it's great to see stuff and to, to see cool stuff, um, getting away from the device and scrolling through feeds is a great way to make a lot more time happen. Yeah. So, These, yeah. We, we've had two retirees on the call tonight. I hold no illusion that retirement is the answer. Anyway. Uh, no, <laughs> I, my wife was really funny. Um, she'll probably kill me for saying this, but she reminded me that the second I retire, my primary employer will be her. Yes. <laughs> and you don't really have as much time as you think you have. So yes. Yes. I guess that's pretty, that's pretty, uh, pretty, uh, weighty. You don't have as much time as you think you have. Well, no, I'm well, many, I'm many well aware of that. I'm well, well aware of that phenomena. And yes, retirement. Uh, yes. Speaking of working for people when you retire, who knows? In any case, Dave yep. Falkenberg, let's end on a happy note. Pleasure oh, yeah, catching yeah. up, loving the photos, looking forward to what you're going to be doing uh, in the near future. And, yeah, we'll, we'll no doubt reconvene somewhere September, October sometime. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, hope to have, I hope to have a six-foot by one-foot, um, two-section, N-scale switching layout built by mm. them. Very good. The first, the first pieces from McMaster Car are going to be ordered on monday so fun stuff alignment dowels and such very good all right always a pleasure catching up dave it's extraordinarily right. hot in my podcasting room and i promised oh, my it, wife it, i would be done just by as six. hot here so <laughs> all right <laughs> good talking take care It's been another Model Rail Radio, folks. Always good catching up. Great catching up with uh, Terry and Jim Gore, both wonderful characters in the hobby who I'm really looking forward to seeing in a year and a bit's time. So always a pleasure catching up with folks. And the Professor, long time no chatting. I've got to apologise to Matt Tran. I've wanted to talk to Matt for the longest time, and I thought he was actually off the call, but he was actually waiting on the call to come back up. So Matt... Please, I'm going to try and do some of these Australia-friendly times a little bit earlier. I normally, normally record a podcast um, on Saturday evening now, so I'm fitting the Model Rail Radio recording times around that. Uh, but yeah, always wanting to talk to new callers. Brad Donovan, long-time communicator, first-time caller. Anyway, thanks very much for the folks listening in this evening. Thanks to the folks for participating. Good night. Good night, Tom. Good night, Tom. Good night, Tom.